Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Good morning. My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell. It's good to see you today. I look forward to our time of fellowship after the service, but I also look forward to continuing our series in Ephesians, uh, The Mystery Revealed. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. As we look at this subject in the mystery revealed, the put off, put on principle. We're going to look at today the put off and put on principle. For the past several weeks, we've been in Ephesians. Last week, we began Ephesians chapter 4. The way we Organized our sermon, if, if sermons, if you've been here, is, is each sermon's basically been about a half of a, of a chapter, so we will have been in Ephesians for about 12 weeks. I want to point out that as we went through Ephesians 1 through 3, you saw a lot of doctrine, a lot of teaching about who God is, about the fact that the mystery revealed is that now Paul taught us that the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, is available to everyone, to Jews and Gentiles. That that covers everybody. And that this salvation is made available to all. It is a gift of God. In Ephesians 1, it's all of Christ. And Ephesians 2 taught us that even though we were dead in our sins, God made us alive. And then throughout, we've seen several prayers where God, where Paul is praying that 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 his people would, would know God and know Christ and live for Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, I think there's a shift in that Paul becomes more practical. He says, okay, you are God's people. You are in Christ. Well, what is that going to look like? I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. We'll go ahead and look at some of it together. And Drew just read a portion of it to you, but I want to point it out in Ephesians 4, 17. Look at what Paul says about this idea of of walking. He says, I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then go down to verse 22. Here's where, here's where the put off, put on principle begins. Put off what? Put off your old self, which belongs to your former matter of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You're going to put off this old way And you're going to put on something new. In other words, as he begins in Ephesians chapter 4, your walk as a Christian is to be different. When I think about a walk, I can't help think but think about some of our brothers and sisters in a very specific mention that those brothers and sisters have in the United States Army. I'm I'm thinking about those sentinels who guard the tomb of the unknowns at, at what is known as the old guard at Arlington cemetery. Typically for any given day, our brothers and sisters who guard that tomb spend about eight hours preparing for that duty. Regularly they get a fresh haircut. When they're on that duty, they don't vary one single step in their walk. For every minute of every day, by the way, since July 2nd, 1937, the old guard has stood guard. I don't know if we have anybody who's who's ever 
done that uh, duty. It's a very, a very specific mission, a very prestigious group of people who have, who have done that. When I lived in D.C., Cheryl and I, we lived there for four years. We served at Walter Reed, and, and we got to be, I think, pretty good tour guides of D.C. as we've, we had more people from South Carolina come see us in D.C. As we, than we have in Hawaii, which I'm sure was COVID prohibitive for the past few years and probably cost prohibitive. But I'm going to say a good half dozen times we played tour guide. And one of the places, you know, people would have, all right, we're going to be here three days, four days. What do we go do in D.C.? Well, good night. You can do a ton of things in D.C. But one of the things that I pretty much would insist on every time is if you've never been to Arlington to see the change in the guard, I want you to go see it. It's, it's a, it's a must-do on the list. When a sentinel, when one of our brothers and sisters comes to that duty, they'll walk. If you've ever, who, how many of you have seen it? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of us have. Walks exactly 21 steps, representing what? The 21-gun salute. That soldier will turn, face the tomb, turn again after 21 seconds, and then they'll walk 21 steps once again. Over and over, they will do that. And then in a very ceremonial fashion, you'll see what? You'll see the changing of the guard. I didn't know this, but they assign the groups by height. Everybody's within just an inch or two of, of the same height as they serve together. They wear the uniform. The shoes have that distinctive uh, clicking of the heels that you've probably remembered. No matter the, matter the weather, no matter whether there's a big crowd of tourists watching or very few people or no one watching. They remain posted. They walk in step. They do it perfectly with honor and with integrity, no matter who is watching. If you want to join this group, the old guard, to guard that tomb, you have to learn a new way to walk. To misunderstand that is to miss the whole point of, of guarding that tomb. To know that the tomb of the unknowns is those who were buried who gave their lives for our freedom. And of course all around those tombs are about a quarter of a million who gave their lives to serve our country as well. The sacrifice is very much worth the 24-hour guard seven days a week. Here's the thing. You don't walk. You don't serve at the tomb and walk the same way. I'm going to venture today as we think about the put off, put on principle. Those of us who serve the name of Christ and who guard his name, we shouldn't walk the same either. As we put off the old and put on the new, we should be different as well. The message from Ephesians, as we've already said throughout this sermon series, although it was written 2,000 years ago, it is very relevant today. The city of Ephesus in the first century was a transportation hub, although we have different technology than they do. A lot of our challenges and struggles and I think even sinful practices are the same today. When you go to Acts chapter 19, what you learn about Ephesus is one of their biggest problems was materialism. If you, if you want to follow along, you can turn there. I'm going to read a little bit out of Acts chapter 19, and we'll come back to Ephesians 4 in just a minute. But if you go to Acts chapter 19, verse 23, you can hold your place in Ephesians 4 and look at this. I want to show you, this is the account of where Paul was in Acts, and I want to show you something because this is important for us to understand our walk. 
It says in Acts chapter 19, there was a great disturbance about the way. That is the, the Christian faith that was growing. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis. Now, Artemis was, was, the, was the god that they worshipped. Brought a lot of business for the craftsmen there. You see that? Verse 25, he called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, we receive good income from this business. And you see how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. And he says gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Verse 27, there's a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia will be robbed of her divine majesty. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were furious and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and soon the whole city was in an uproar. They were upset because as people became, became to know Christ, they weren't buying these, these false idols, these trinkets, and it cut into the budget, and it, it made people mad. God, if you notice throughout Scripture, He's always in the business of tearing down idols. I don't care if it's the Asherah poles in the Old Testament, if it's the Baal worship. Here we have Artemis. I don't care if it's the idols of your heart and my heart. God is in the business of tearing down idols. But in the middle of that craziness in that first century, a church was born. The, the church in Ephesus that Paul is writing to. And when I look at what we just read, this idea of Paul saying, put, put off the old and put on the new. I can't help but think that maybe that church, as they, were, as they were new, as they were struggling, as they were in the world, but trying to be in that world, but maybe not of the world, maybe their thought process was, I want to live out this faith. How do I do that? I, I'm a Christian, but how do, what does that look like that I, that I, that I, that I walk uh, this, in this new way? Paul's calling them to a new way of walking, a new way of living, just as... Guarding that tomb requires a different way of walking. You could say it this way. One pastor told me one time, you go through the word of God, but does the word of God go through you? Ephesians 1 through 3 teaches us what to believe, but Ephesians 4 through 6 says, okay, now that that is what you believe, how am I to behave? It has to do with belief and behavior. It's the idea that Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 5 where he says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's the same concept that Paul also says in Galatians when he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Now I want you to go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and let's look at this together. Look at verse 23 one more time. He says, to be renewed in the spirits of your minds, and he says to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're going to stop right at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5 today, but I want to point out that from Ephesians 4 even on into Ephesians 5, what Paul's going to do is he's going to give us some examples of what putting on this new life will look like. Paul does almost what I call a, as opposed to like one laser bullet focus, you know, a bullet's one bullet, right? It's very precision, like a sniper. It's more of a shotgun approach in the sense that Paul, his laser focus is take off the old and put on the new. 
But the next few verses that we're going to look at is he's going to give some examples of what that looks like in several areas of our lives. It is very much, as I studied, the imagery of taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. Some of you have soldiers right now who are at JPMRC. Now, for the next couple weeks, I'm not going to be in the box. When you see me tomorrow, I'll look the same two weeks from now because I'll have kind of the same pretty well-cleaned uniform. But I've been in the box myself, and some of y'all have been in the box. It's just not your turn. You've done it before. But those uniforms won't look like those nice clean ones that they do in Garrison, will they? And if some of y'all are like my wife, when you come back from when they come back from JPMRC, like Cheryl's told me more than one occasion, I come, uh, I sort of get a kiss, but I have to lean like this because she doesn't want to smell me. And then her instructions are something to the effect of the kids aren't home, nobody's here, strip it all down right here and just leave it in the garage. Leave it on the front porch. It's not coming where? Don't bring those dirty clothes in the house. That's what Paul's talking about. It's just putting off the old and putting on the new. How many of you, some, this is stereotypically a guy thing, have those old gross t-shirts that every so often your spouse makes you throw away because it's old and gross. Sometimes my favorite t-shirts, they sort of disappear. Why? Because they're old. It's time for something new. Today, I want to look at what Paul says about how to take off this old, the old clothes, the old way, and to live out this new life in Christ. The mystery revealed, we're going to look at the put off, put on principle in five areas. And I'm going to give them to you right now, and I believe the outline is in the bulletin as well. Point number one is this. Point number one is put on, put on the truth. Put on the truth. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me, and look at verse 25. Paul's therefore, in other words, following the concept of the old self or the new self, here's his examples. Therefore, having put away what? Falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Speak the truth with his neighbor. We're going to lay aside falsehood. As I was looking at this passage, as I studied it, I also want to point out that it is, yes, don't tell lies, instead tell the truth. That is true. But I think it's deeper than that. It goes to the core of who we are. Put away falsehood because under the fact that we're in Christ shows that we're not under the lies, but we're under the truth. Put away falsehood is to ask, is a liar who you are? No. I am one who's trusted in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the what? The truth. Therefore, put that away and speak truth to, to, to neighbor. Being a liar is not in keeping with who you are in Christ. Why? Look at what it says at the end of the verse. For we are members of one another. This concept traces all the way back to the Ten Commandments, right? You will not bear false 
witness. But it's deeper than just tell the truth, don't tell a lie. Although that is true, it is lying is not who I am as a Christian because I am now in Christ. When you and I are tempted or when you and I fall into the pattern of a lie, we are falling back into those old clothes, so to speak. We're putting the dirty uniform back on and trying to go outside to some nice event and act like everything is okay. It would be like this, the same analogy, but another garment of clothing would be shoes. How many of you wear a pair of shoes until they just wear slap out, and until they're just gross and ugly? And I like to do that, and I'm not, Chaplain Brazos not saying don't wear your old shoes. Wear your old shoes, but, but follow me for the analogy. Those shoes are okay for walking around. It's probably okay for doing some PT. Those boots are probably okay for some field training, although I would argue that if it has holes in the bottom, it's probably bad because you're going to get hurt. It's the whole point of it is protection. Those shoes might be okay for doing work in the yard or in the garden or those types of things. But slipping back into those old pair of shoes is not good for going out in public. It's not good for certain things. When you and I, when you and I, instead of living the truth, we slip back into those old pair of shoes. Now you might say, well, I don't, I don't out and out tell a lie. The challenge with, with deceitfulness and lying is it can creep in anywhere. One of the places I think it could creep in very easily is social media. Because let's face it, it's safer to sin on social media. It is. You can put a deceitful thought out there. You can spread things that aren't necessarily true. But I can't do that. You know why? Because I'm a member of the body of Christ. I got to put those clothes off. I got to take those shoes off and I got to put on this new way of living. So the first one is put on the truth. Number two, you'll see it in the next verses following. Number two is manage anger. Number two is manage anger. I very intentionally didn't call this, oh, just stop being angry. That's not, that's not what he's saying. Let's look at it together. Look at verse number 26. He actually starts by saying, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Give no opportunity to who? To the devil. The anger itself, folks, is not the sin. But the anger can lead to sin. The anger can lead to resentment. The anger can lead to things that are ungodly. Proverbs 29, 11, you don't have to turn there, but it says, a fool gives full vent to his anger. It doesn't say a fool's mad. That's not what it says. He gives full vent to his anger. But a wise man does what? Holding it back. He quiets it. I ran across a story in Time Magazine from back in the 60s, a man named Leo Held. I want you to listen to this. I won't read it verbatim, but I'll tell you the story. Leo Held was a, he worked at a paper mill in Pennsylvania. He was a school board member. He was a Boy Scout leader. He worked for the local fire department. I like this guy already. And he went to church, and he loved his kids. Every so often, people said he bickered with his neighbors, but nothing too crazy. Maybe drove a little aggressive. But come find out. You can read it in Time Magazine back in the 60s. Come find out. He harbored a grudge against a couple of members of his family for 30 years. 
Let me tell you what this man did. Resentment. He saw his wife off to work one day and their children to school. He, he killed several of his fellow co-workers. He stood in the corner and said, come get me, and yelled expletives and, and all these sort of things. And a bystander who was, who was there, she said that as he lay there dying, he, he was murmuring to himself, I still had one more to go. In other words, one more person to kill. Time Magazine titled this article with a picture of him on the front of Time Magazine, believe it or not. Responsible, respectful, and resentful. How does anybody who is so upright do such a horrible thing? He let the sun go down on his anger. He did it for one day. And then he let it go down again. And he let it go down again. And resentment built up. And he let the full vent of his anger loose on a fateful day where he took the lives of others and lost his own life. Now, why do I share such a horrible story? Because I think that's, that's, how, that's what's going to happen to us. Not necessarily, but I will say this. The principle of putting off and putting on is very simple. If you put on holding on to that anger, it's not the way of Christ, first of all, and you let the sun go down, that's just a fancy Bible way of saying you let a day go by and you don't deal with it. And then you let another day go by and don't deal with it. And you let another day go by and don't deal with it. Let me say this. You can go to the doctors. You can go to all the counseling you want. But there's not enough medication on this planet that can medicate your way and my way out of uncontrolled and and undealt with anger and resentment. You can't medicate your way out of that. What do you do? You and I have to put that off. Take that, take that dirty stuff off and put on forgiveness, put on love. Don't let the sun go down. Husbands and wives, what an application. Deal with it today. Don't deal with it tomorrow. With your children, take care of the anger right now. With your co-workers, deal with it right now. Don't let it be unresolved. Deal with it now. Don't let the sun go down. Put on God's way. Number three is this. Number three we'll see in verse 28. It's simple. It's work and be generous. Work and be generous. Look at verse 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal. Uh, the NIV, I think, says let him who steals steal no longer. He says, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. But there's a why. There's always a why. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The put off, put on principle. Let, let him who steals, steal no longer. So sure, chaplain, don't steal. It's been around for a while. That's one of the big ten back in the Old Testament, right? Sure, don't steal. Got it. But the opposite of that is to work with our own hands. Performing, it says, some translations say, performing with our hands what is good. 
I believe, like Ephesus of old, one of the things plaguing our society is materialism. Do you know what an antidote to materialism is? This put off, put on principle. What Paul is saying is instead of having the mentality of a thief, or, let me put it another way, perhaps instead of having a mentality of everybody else owes me something, which, by the way, is a strange way for followers of the crucified one to think, right? He sacrificed and gave his all. Who am I to think everybody owes me something? I think that's what part of what Paul is giving at. Instead of being a thief, work with our hands, doing something worthwhile. You and I know it's in our, I think you know it intuitively, that for us to be fulfilled in life, we have to have a purpose. That's part of what work is. Work didn't come on humankind because of the fall. You do know that. When you read through the creation story, it's not like Adam sinned. Oh, you got to work now. The difference was work was going to get harder. Thorns and thistles and all those things. You can go back and read that in Genesis chapter 3. But Adam was already working in the garden before he sinned. God designed us to be people who are productive and, and who do things. Why? So that he may have something, the Bible says, to share with those in need. The antidote to stuffitis, that is the sickness of just craving stuff all the time, the antidote to materialism is to, be a, is to be a giving person. And by the way, since I have a moment, this is not a tithing sermon, but I think it's worthwhile to share. I have people ask me all the time, well, well how, how do I give? How much should I give? Let me say it this way. You and I are never going to outgive God, number one. And number two, if our starting point is ever, do I have to give 10% and is 10% enough? If my questioning has to do with how little do I have to do to get by, we're already in the wrong place. The put off, put on principle is put off this idea of stealing. Put off this idea of, of, of being owed something. Put on the fact that God's called me to serve. God's called me to be a a, a a force multiplier, if you will. God's called me to, to be a blessing in this world. Why? So that I can be a blessing to other people, which is the way of Christ. Putting on a work ethic, putting on a life that leads me to be a blessing to others is following in the footsteps of Jesus. That's one of the ways we put off and put on. Number four, in verse 29. Now we're to what we say. I say this, number four. Speak in order to build up. Speak in order to build up. Look at verse 29. He says, Let no what? Corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for, here it is, building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. It is... It is the full principle of the old adage, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. You've heard that before. It goes beyond that. Don't say anything that is corrupting. The word there, literally, corrupt, has to do with the idea of rottenness. The opposite of something that's building, the opposite of something that is fruitful, it is beyond the point of fruitful if it is rotten. It is now no good. It's just to be thrown away. Speaking to build up. Only such a word that one translation says is fit for edification. That's just a fancy way to say build up. 
I believe this applies not just to what we say, but to what we also type or text or post on social media. It is amazing to me as a pastor the, the times that I've known people who would never be bold enough to just come out and, and just lose their mind on somebody face to face. But oh, behind the safety of a screen, behind the safety of a phone, I've seen people just lose their minds and definitely fit the category of unwholesome talk or corrupt talk. Don't put that on. When we're tempted to do that, take that off. Don't go over there to that old pair of shoes of talking that way and slip those shoes back on. Don't go to that uniform that hadn't been cleaned yet and try to stick it back on and go to the commissary. That's not how it works. Put on the way of Christ. Speak in a way to build up according to the need of the moment. I also want to point out under this, look at, look at, the, look at this verse about the, the Holy Spirit. Look where it says in verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. I think that is a principle that Paul would apply to all his, all his examples that he's giving. But I will say this, it's interesting to me that he says the, the phrase, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, he says it right in the middle of how we treat other people. I think the principle is God's very much interested in how you and I treat one another. He's very interested in how we treat other people. And that if, if I speak in a corrupt way to you, that is rotten to you. That doesn't build you up but tears you down. Then that grieves the Holy Spirit. If I speak to my children in a way that's not building them up, Paul's going to say something about that later in Ephesians, but tears them down, that grieves the Holy Spirit. We have to put that away and put on God's way of speaking in a way to build people up. Number five, you'll see this in verse 31 and 32. This example is to just simply be kind and be forgiving. Be kind and be forgiving. Look at verses 31 and 32. And notice every time he's you're putting something away and you're replacing it with this with this other. You're putting on. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness, we've talked about that a little bit, and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, that is, ill will toward other people. Well, what do we do instead of having ill will? What do we do instead of, instead of having the, this bitterness? Verse 32. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, that is, I think, gracious. Ephesians has spoke a lot about the grace that's in our lives. While we were sinners, Paul said, Christ did what? He died for us. Because God has given us so much grace, he wants us to be tender-hearted towards other people. Many times God's grace is sufficient, but our our, at times our grace is not. We want all the grace from God, but we want to bring the wrath on everybody else. But instead of that, he says, be tender-hearted and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Of all these things, as I read them, and as I think about Paul's examples, I look at some of them and I go, I speak truthfully to people. I don't go around telling lies. 
When I do my taxes, I put the actual numbers. I'm, I'm speaking the truth. When I write my OER, I don't, I don't fluff the numbers. I really did counsel 55,000 people or whatever, whatever. You know, I don't know. I'm truthful. I don't steal stuff. I do work every day. Yeah, I get mad, but I don't, I don't lose my mind on anybody. I, I'm good. But boy, maybe you're like me. When I get to this one, malice, ill will towards others. Some of those I can't get away with. If I try to steal, you might catch me. If I'm mean to you, you can call me out on it. If I tell a lie, I might get caught. But this one, this is the, this is the clothing. This is like the dirty shirt underneath the uniform that you're trying to get away with wearing, so to speak. If I hold a grudge, nobody else is going to know. This old dirty piece of clothing I can hold on to because nobody will ever know. The challenging thing about living out our faith is that Paul in this passage is calling us to put those things away as well. Is there an article of clothing that's dirty that needs to come off but you and I are keeping it on because we've hidden it under something? Jesus said you look good on the outside but you're whitewashed tombs. Remember that illustration he used? If so... I encourage us to pull it out of hiding, put that away, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Why? Forgiving, what's it say at the end of verse 32? Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And many times that's tough. But that is what God calls us to do. To take off those old and to put on the way of Christ. And I'll close with this. How do we do, how do, we do all these things? I'm going to slide over into Ephesians 5 just a little bit, and, and Chaplain Verdon's going to pick right back up next week where we left off. So come back next week, and you'll get the rest of, of, this, of Paul's thought here. But point number six, or the last point, is this in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5. The only way we can do this is if we imitate God and walk. The last point there, the last blank. Walk in Love. Look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The only way you and I will be able to take off the old and put on the new is to imitate God and to walk in love. That is, walk with the love of God in our hearts, asking God to help us and asking God to be with us. Which article of clothing do you need to take off today? Which pair of shoes do you need to throw in the trash can? Whatever analogy you want to use, as Paul's approach of giving several examples. Maybe maybe God's pricked our hearts about an example that Paul didn't necessarily give. I don't think Paul was trying to give every example of, of this principle in one passage. But if there's an area of our life that we're holding on to, that God is saying, hey, walk with me. 
take that off. Leave that outside in the garage and put on the way of Christ. I encourage you to do that today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search our hearts and God, that you would make it abundantly clear to us where those areas are that we need to put off our way, to put off the dirty way, the sinful way, and to put on Christ. As we become to understand the mystery that's now revealed that you've saved us, Heavenly Father, I pray for your people today. I pray that we, too, would understand your grace that we're about to sing about, and I pray that we'd understand it in such a way that we could walk in newness of life, and then when we're tempted to put on those old ways, I pray that we could put, put on you. Heavenly Father, for those who may be here and have never trusted Christ for salvation, God, I pray that, that they would understand their need for this great Savior who died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again. I pray that you would bless us now, and it's in Christ's name. Amen.